My name is uh, Ahmed Qureshi, and I beat the often path by providing access to healthcare services and providers uh, to underserved communities across the country. Valorant Health was founded in 2018 after founder and CEO Ahmed Qureshi experienced the impact that lack of access to healthcare had on communities from his early years in Pakistan. Through extensive global travel, Ahmed realized that large portions of our population lack the access to healthcare that others of us expect and take for granted. He saw enormous inefficiencies and outdated systems that led to incredible waste, often with the people who need the healthcare the most paying the highest personal price. His is a fascinating take on a problem that affects us all, and I just love anyone audacious enough to take something as massive as healthcare head on. So here's Ahmed Qureshi, I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Welcome to the show, Ahmed. Uh, It's great to have you here. I was just thinking this morning as I was looking for an emergency room or an urgent care for my daughter, how unimportant healthcare is. So why are you wasting your time? That's what I wake up asking myself most days. So uh, I feel you, Ross. (laughs) Yeah, not a big deal. (laughs) It's um, healthcare is the great equalizer. Uh, I think that's how I think about it. Uh, I was born in a different country. Uh, I was born in Lahore, Pakistan. Um, And before coming to the U.S., lived in Canada, moving back and forth. We lived in 11 different cities uh, to have the opportunities that I do today. Uh, that, that's my family's path here. My grandmother was one of the first female physicians in the country of Pakistan. Um, what a cool person, right? And no kidding. Why isn't, why isn't she on this show? Move aside. That's dude. what, I, you know, seriously, I, I was, I'm wasting my time. <laughs> she, I, I always knew this was a stepping stone to her. So I, I yeah. understand. that's okay. Uh, you got to bridge the gap. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my my grandmother passed a, a few years ago, but she's such a wonderful person with an amazing legacy, right? Like uh, that I get to point to uh, as everything I'm building and get to see uh, how hard and how wonderfully she worked uh, for so many years. And the health inequity piece was, you know, we talk about it today here in the U.S. Uh, I got to see it firsthand as well, where you know, in Pakistan, a country that was still in its early stages at that time, um, facing a lot of issues around not just access to care generally, but also the differences in how women could access care versus men. So just a very fundamental shift in how healthcare affects everybody. And yet there are all these artificial segmentations that we still face today here in the United States. So we started with the mission of going straight to those underserved communities because I got to see firsthand what inequity can do and how it can impact people. And at the same time, the mission is kind of bigger than just 67 million Americans that we focused on right now initially and a small number. I know. Um, Again, why not waste the whole country? Right. (laughs) No big deal. But it impacts Like It's the same system, right? Like the system doesn't change we've kind of artificially siloed everybody into these different communities, different geographies, different policies and care. And we just uh, thought about it in the sense of what if we took out these artificial barriers and just made it one healthcare system. It sounds like common sense, but that's just not how the structure is set up so far. And it's quite a shame 
So, you know, for us, that's our mission. And that's uh, what we've been building with the technology first, uh, but not virtual first pl- platform in healthcare. Makes sense. So when a lot of people like myself, we think about healthcare, I think of something that feels unsolvable in this country. And it's a weird dichotomy because in other countries like Canada, Sweden, that have universal health care, it, it seems easy on the one hand to say we should just invest in universal health care, which I personally believe in. But then on the other hand, it seems impossible to change the way that the United States is run, largely because of political reasons and what I can only assume is greed and power and money uh, from the highest levels of our system, right? So what on earth made you think that you could make a dent in this monstrous behemoth that is our institutionalized healthcare system, if you can call it that? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a fantastic question because I think it gets to the heart of why we are where we are. And actually, you know, before I answer your question, which is a fantastic question, I actually want to turn it back on you. What do you think defines success in creating and, you know, we we always call about fixing healthcare. What does that mean to you? Because I think you're a great representation of a lot of folks who, unlike me, um, you know, don't, don't get up and breathe it every day in and day out. You know, I want to hear from you so that we can really get into it. Well, uh, I'm starting to sweat now because I've literally never been asked a question before. So I don't know how to answer them. I only know how to ask them. So I'm sorry to the fans in advance for me attempting this. No, but I think one of the things that I've noticed and that a lot of people who I know haven't experienced is that I lived in Europe for nine years. I lived in another country. So I've seen how two different healthcare systems work. And I've seen the incredible difference. My wife is European. And I... I'm constantly amazed at how complicated and difficult things are here that are just easy and not a concern. You know, here you have to wonder, oh, do I go to the right emergency room? Which one does my insurance cover? Does my insurance cover urgent care but not an emergency room? They cover me if I'm admitted or if I'm not admitted. What? When do I need to bring my doctor in and when do I go straight to somebody who I don't know? In many European countries, and I assume Canada as well, you don't have those kinds of questions ever. If you're sick, you go to any doctor, you will be taken care of. You never, ever have to worry about whether it's going to break the bank, whether you're going to get a million dollar or million euro bill in the mail. You don't have this giant question mark about what is actually covered and what's not covered. Will you get the care you need or will you not? It's just a given. And that's what I think of when I think of universal Healthcare. So to me, I think that a citizen of a country, this is my personal opinion, a citizen of a country as powerful and great as the United States should never have to ask questions about whether or not they can get health care, what kind of care they sh- should need, and nobody should ever be put in a position where they don't get health care because they're afraid that it will bankrupt them with a kind of debt that they can literally never get out of the rest of their life. So I think of success as being the opposite of that for all. That's people. an amazing take for us. Um, can I try to sum it up? What yep. you just said, please. Um, it's in peace of mind. Does that yes. seem like a, a fair way so. to yeah. define it? Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Now let's talk about a couple of the, you know, stakeholders uh, as you know, the technic- technical term there that we, we talk about in healthcare. We have, the providers that actually, you know, uh, I'm going to lump everybody, you know, all the wonderful staff 
the the nursing, the the physicians, everybody into providers, right? Like they actually provide the care delivery. Then you have in the U.S. actually again, like all the countries that you mentioned, there's a pair, whether that's the government or it's a it's a private company. Well, that's kind of you bucket it as like who's who's paying for those services, and it's usually not the individual. Now the individual has the terrible burden of being fully reliant on a system at the worst possible time when they're going through a healthcare crisis or somebody you love is going through a healthcare crisis and having the least amount of knowledge about what's happening. The providers at least know what's wrong with you and what you should do. They can throw all sorts of terms at you, but you're not the expert there. And then you have the payers who know exactly what the money is, the codes we talk about, all this stuff. Right. And you as a patient are just in crisis looking from one to the other, right? right? So that's kind of, you know, where that lack of transparency really stems from. But now I want to expand that definition of peace of mind because providers, even in the U.S., you know, where it's, it's, it's a well-paying career. It's, it's, it's nice for, uh, you can make a great living. But that's not actually why anybody gets into it. Yeah, again, like you, there's, other ways to go make a lot more money out there. People actually do get it, get into it. Um, and, you know, I'm a little biased. I'm coming third generation from a, a line of physicians here. Uh, my, my mother's still a practicing physician in underserved area in, in Arkansas. How cool is that? Yeah, how cool, right? And they got into it again for the same reasons. They want to really be there for the patients. You talk to her staff. And they're going to tell you the same thing. Everybody who's supporting them, which is, you know, the billers, the administrators, everybody. And then you have the pairs. And we tend to think of them as like the, you know, the folks with the the, bag, the burlap sacks with the dollar signs With the cash in it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and truly, they are trying to think of a system where they can pay people efficiently. It's, um, and I, I know I'm going about it in a really roundabout way, but just setting the scene here where the reason why when a company becomes big enough, they ask to be regulated is they want to just know what the rules of the game are that we can all play together, right? All the big companies, you know, Tesla starts advocating for regulation, Meta starts advocating for regulations. We can get into all sorts of other issues around those things. But whenever somebody reaches a certain point and become the industry leader, they beg for regulation. And pairs are in a similar class, actually, like that sort of policies and stuff define it because there's a it's kind of becomes a lawless land in healthcare where you're not sure what you should, shouldn't pay for. How does it work? And when everybody's working off a slightly different system, there is no uniformity. So you as the pair now spend those dollars actually is trying to figure out how to pay people out, who to pay out when and what are the kind of. Um, points at which the milestones at which you release funds. Now, this is my premise. That's why we founded this company was nobody's winning. It's an all lose economy right now in healthcare. Yeah. You know, we tend to think like it's, it's just the patient, but I think the patient loses at the most. So we build a patient centric platform. <laughs> so I don't get me wrong, but nobody's really winning in the system. Everybody's just losing. So we thought about, what is the fundamental peace of mind? And that was, what if we just made a really transparent system? Everybody speaks the same language in the same place. 
when you need care, you get connected to the care, you know, it's a credible care, you know, it's going to be paid for. And when that provider reaches the end of the care they can provide you, they hand you off to somebody else who can take that, take you along for the next leg of the journey, right? We don't all just go and be like, I'm going to see this one provider for this one thing. We're really complicated organisms and we need a whole lot of care. You know, you, you go from everything from mental health and behavioral health to chronic care, your just general everyday needs, urgent care, all of it's part of the same continuum and it's just artificially separated. And for us, it's about bringing everybody into the same place at the same time so that everybody has peace of mind because now the pairs know who's getting the care and what time frame and with folks that are going to be paid at an um, at a reliable amount. The patients know exactly where to go and they're not going to have to pay something out of pocket. And that's when you start actually building a framework for a more sustainable healthcare economy. All right. Well, all of that sounds like a dream and borderline impossible. So who's actually paying? How do they know that they're going to get there and have care? Why is that so easy for you and so impossible ordinarily? Yeah. And I think, uh, so it's from where we started, right? Like, so we started and went for large demographics for two reasons. So, so we, we right now work in these rural areas uh, in five different states at this time. Um, we work with indigenous communities. So we actually work with the federal uh, Indian health services, the agency that sits under health and human services. We actually work with them on our, um, uh, to serve the communities. We also have active contracts with the air force and I army. Amazing. We, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you. And we work with several rural health centers around the country as well. The way we're setting it up is essentially we're going to the people who have the least access to care. So from a patient perspective, this is the way, the best way to scale care is through this digital platform. For the first time, it becomes accessible. We were joking early in this podcast how we're going to take a road trip, you know, and that's an option. You and I can have this conversation regardless of where we are in the world, right? It's a nice privilege to have and good access, accessibility. I'll provide the snacks. It'll be a great time. But we don't have to do it, right? Yeah. And that's the piece in healthcare where we're trying to shift from the patient perspective. The reason why I went after these really tough to access communities is because they're they're covered in broad range by uh, somebody who's serving as a provider and the payer. And these problems in healthcare that we talked about earlier are all problems of scale. So the logistics is like one patient doesn't show up, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're in charge of, you know, 22 million lives, like, the Veteran Health Administration is the luck, and that's why it's the largest healthcare system in the world. It really adds up a lot. So, from us, it's the folks that are feeling the pain the most, and quite honestly, are still on some outdated technological infrastructure. So, it's not the reason why it becomes now realistic is you've gone to a place where you're applying technology that is live right now in really highly regulated uh, markets already. Banking, um, hospitality, you know, like you can go and book Airbnb. You're going to somebody's house and going to be physically there. And yet we can arrange it all. Somebody can come pick me up from my home in their own car. We're actually dealing with physical limited resources that are all being coordinated in real time. So it's not like we're applying anything that doesn't exist. 
It's all about the policies and getting the right players on board. And that's where we're specializing. It's going after the people who need it the most, where we can see that impact, and then kind of almost bring it to everybody else because it's something that everybody's going to feel the returns on from a societal level. So that's kind of at least how we're thinking about it. Now, let me know if, uh, you know, it, it sounds a little bit more real. It, it does. I guess what I want to know is if I show me the before and after. So I'm in one of those communities. I'm in a rural area. I'm part of that group. What is the before for me trying to get healthcare for myself? And what is the after with your system? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a real example. So uh, early stages of the company, you know, you as the founder um, and you're, you're serving as a CEO, you're also the accounting department, you're the billing department and customer support. It's all fantastic. Sounds um, I, I was on a call with a, <laughs> with a, uh, a couple There's, uh, in their 70s, both of them, very nice. Um, they both had really, they're called high acuity, so like critical need diagnoses um, at this health center. And they needed care in the community to actually deliver and get prescriptions. They've been at this point when I talked to them, waiting, been waiting for care for about 10 to 10 and a half months, wow. respectively. Okay. We came in, we got this, it's like a PDF form that says, you know, basic demographic information, what they need to be seen for, et cetera. The classic information, Every we all fill it out a million times, right? Yeah. Um, and it's from their provider. So now we can provide coverage. Within 14 hours, they both had appointments and got seen. And later that day, they went to the Walgreens down the street and picked up the prescription. Now, how wild is that? We went from 10, 10 and a half months to literally under 24 hours without nothing had to really shift. It was a communication and continuum of care problem that you're fundamentally solving. It's logistics through technology. Okay. Fundamentally. So what was the reason that it took 10 months prior? Why was that yeah. so long? Yeah. No, that the reason is, again, it's kind of, it's, it's always an unsatisfying answer because we all experience it on when we're going through it. But when you look at the economy as a whole, you're like, it should be able to move better. And I, and I agree, it should be able to move better. But it's really a lot of compounded inefficiencies along with kind of lack of clarity on whose responsibility things are. So handing somebody off into the, the ether of the world is really difficult, right? You're dealing with compliant information that's protected on, in many ways. So you can't just like hand it off. You can't start calling around. You need the patients um, to actually give you their sign off. You need the payers to make sure that, you know, they're willing to pay for coverage that happens outside. And you need somebody to be on the other side to receive it, right? Uh, we, we hear about provider shortages and stuff all the time these days as well. So not everybody's actually accepting patients either. So how do you bridge all that? And who's responsible? Are they being paid for it? You know? Uh, maybe I make one or two calls to make sure as, as a, you know, somebody who's working as an administrator at a, at a health center, I want this person to get coverage, but after my first three calls go unanswered by the community, maybe at that point I have to move on to some other critical care that I need to provide. 
And little by little, you as a patient now are waiting to see if you hear, you don't hear. It's, a, it's again, kind of that lack of transparency problem. Where the technology piece really can elevate it is you actually get all of that, what's happening in real time and you're in the middle of it. So you can sign off and things are happening in a compliant way, in a secure way, but you're actually in charge of it, making sure when something gets stalled, you can actually uh, get answers and move it along, right? Because you, at the end of the day, as a patient, are ultimately in charge of what happens to your care. And this way, that peace of mind becomes comes to the patient to the provider who now needs to hand them off to someone else. You as a, now the receiver of that patient are like, great, now I have one fewer open slot in my practice. I get to see somebody make their life a little bit easier and I know I'm going to get paid for it. And that now is a full package that really expedited that care. And what it did a little bit more is actually move us from the old era of reactive care, right? Like somebody is going to end up in an emergency room somewhere or somebody's really in high need of care to a world where we can start imagining, we're not there yet, that what if we just started doing this preventatively? We started getting to a place that before somebody ever got into that high acuity need, like we can't stop it 100% of the time, but just as much as possible prevented people from getting there because you've made it so much easier to actually get access to care. And that's kind of the dream that we're the North Star that's guiding us right now. Do you have any stats by any chance on what the cost of doing things the old way is in terms of human life or how many people end up in critical care when they didn't need to, for example? Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, let me give you a couple of large numbers. Uh, One is a a great uh, article that's posted by uh, A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz there. And they talk about how in the healthcare economy, there's about 765 billion, we we use such large numbers, that is a a huge amount of money that is right now essentially being wasted because of poor healthcare logistics management and administrative uh, hurdles. This almost a trillion dollars just being wasted in the healthcare piece, right? So where we started the, the conversation, I'm just going to summarize it and catch it up to where it is right now, if that's okay, which is it's not okay. where's the money, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop. No. no. It's the, the money. You're tying the money that actually exists already in the, in the healthcare economy and just repurposing it. And maybe giving everybody a chunk of that back and you still have the makings of a trillion dollar company just by reducing the existing inefficiencies. Now, now I just created a trillion dollar company, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, this is some, this is, it has to be a rising tide model. So that's why I, you know, I'm, I that was a joke because you really need a lot of people, all the different players who are highly specialized in healthcare to work together to make this happen. Because if everybody tries to do, again, let's go to the old way. Everybody wants to own the, this is my patient data. The patient can go somewhere else, but this is my patient data. This is how I manage my providers. This is the information I share with other people. And instead, we've come to the new era 
which is how about we say that healthcare is going to become more transparent. This is the new era that we're going towards and it requires everybody. And the amazing part is we all actually benefit more because now you actually get, if you care about the data and you want to monetize the data, you'll actually get more access to data. If you want to reduce your costs, you can actually start seeing how do I easily more fluidly maximize what I do best and pass off other care continuum to folks who specialize in that piece. If I want to get more patients, make it easier for them to come to you. If you want to get more money, more revenue flowing through, make it more transparent for people to pay you, right? Instead of trying to hold on to a system that clearly is broken and doesn't work and really doesn't benefit anybody, we can actually bring it into a new era where through cloud-based technology, that's how we, we've envisioned it, um, in real time, you can coordinate with everybody. It's the same data and everybody's just looking at a different piece of it. And that's the power that allows us to move forward. Yeah, that's a, such an interesting concept that the inefficiency alone is such a tremendous burden. So here's a question that you may have an answer to, or maybe it's just loosely related to what you actually do. But it's it's something that I think a lot of people, especially who have experienced care in other countries, have a question. And I have a question as well, talking about transparency or lack thereof. Recently, there was a Mr. Beast video. He's, you know, so hot right now. Um, and he made a video where he cured all of these people. And an enormous, magnanimous gesture. He cured, he provided a free surgery for, what was it, like 200 people, 400? I don't know, a lot of people. And um, I was reading some of the comments of that. And yes, it was very noble and generous for Mr. Beast to have done that for people who couldn't get this procedure because it was cost prohibitive. But then in the comments, you realize, well, in other countries, that procedure is free. So the only reason that he was able to be generous is because things are so backwards here that nobody could afford it here. So I think one of the things when we think about transparency, because I get that these things have costs, and I think that healthcare should have a lot of costs, is why is it that this pill costs $5 everywhere else in the world and $7,000 per pill here? And why is it that the bills that I receive, even if insurance is paying for them, why are they so outrageous here? Why is a few days in an emergency room billed at thousands of dollars, whereas elsewhere in the world it's 15 local currencies, you know? So do you have any insight into why that is so vastly different here versus other places? Yeah, I'm going to take it. I'm going to divide into two things here. Um, I actually, you know, the, the thing you're talking about, let me also just give an example. This happened last week. I have a friend of mine who is actually a founder of another digital health startup early stages. And being a, a startup founder is not as glorious as it always looks. And they're, insurance, healthcare insurance wasn't set to kick in until June. And they had an emergency that happened. And they're trying to really figure out what they need to do, what's going to happen, how do they pay for it out of pocket. It's it's coming out to be about $20,000. And for a founder, when you're not paying yourself, that's, that's, that's an impossible amount of money. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, like, I'm not trying to make it about startup founders, like a lot of people deal with Oh, a lot realities. of people would, would feel but, that. Yeah. Yeah. And she realized she had a friend in Europe, you know, uh, who could book her an appointment later in the week 
and she just needed to fly out. It was a couple of hundred dollars out of pocket, stayed there for a week and then come back. And it's still only $3,000, which is still a lot of money. Don't get me wrong, but still such a huge cost savings in a sense by yeah. doing that. So that's a horrifying story. You know, I want to relate to as well. Um, the way it works is, I think let's take the premise that the U.S. is actually doing a lot of things really well. We're still the I, I leader. Agree with that. In, I, I, yeah. I do believe that in some ways, mm-hmm. yes. And we're innovating like an amazing amount, right? Like the amount we've done in digital health, still being a leader in virtual care, still providing really cutting edge therapies. I just am amazed. That's kind of my old world, just how much amazing work is happening and it's all cutting edge, right? Like, and it's hard to fund. It's hard to get so many people to take so many big risks. Again, like you have to found a startup at some point, not pay yourself, not in order to potentially have it pay yeah. off, right? Like, yeah. and that's what an amazing, that's what my, and I say this, you know, I became an American citizen last year after living in the country oh, for 18 years. It was a big, big day. Thank that's awesome. you. Uh, I was very excited. Um, and, you know, that's the dream that family, we, we were going for that opportunity. So like that American dream, I'm living my American dream. So like, you know, I won't, I'm, I'm very proud to be here. Now, here's where the story becomes a little bit, the tonal shift here is we've tied those metrics, not to peace of mind anymore. Now, it's not about access. It became just about doing the innovative thing. And we forgot that it's our responsibility then as the leaders to also Use it morally and ethically and not leverage it. Don't, we can't be a mafia boss about it, you know, just because you invented something that that can help so many people. It is your You're willing to pay, they'll pay it. If their life's in danger, they'll pay whatever. Hey, wouldn't you pay $50,000 to live? Huh? Wouldn't you? Come on, what's it worth to you? I loved it. That was, that, was, that was fantastic. You captured right. it. I think that's exactly it. I think that mentality shift. Now right. that's where we've fallen behind. And I, and I, you know, now I want to put it back a little bit to people who are smarter than I am and able to tell a story better than I can. So, Ross, this is on you, folks in the actually in the in journalism and in, in reporting in podcast, all these different medium that actually help set the tone. And what is your what is the moral imperative of all the folks working in this space? It matters so much because yeah. that's where we can really take that ownership back and decide, hey, maybe, you know, if you make a billion dollars out of it, that's great. But maybe we just start also then looking at what are the lives that we're going to it's our responsibility to save as part of this, you know, incredible amount of innovation and opportunity that was able to be created as a result of it. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think, I think there is some sort of moral responsibility to shield people from these numbers. I think, for example, let's say you're a public school teacher and you make not much more than $50,000 a year or less. Let's say you work at a fast food and you make far less than that minimum wage. I don't think that somebody like that who has health care should ever see a bill or a document that has a hundred thousand dollars, two hundred, five hundred, a million dollars on it, and then 
in best case scenario, that number being crossed out and then amount you pay $15. I think it's irresponsible to show somebody those kinds of numbers. And if you look at how subsidies work in other industries, it's like if you buy a steak, and I'm not a meat eater, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, but if you buy a steak, there's enormous subsidies that go into the purchase price of a steak in the grocery store. If you buy a steak, it doesn't say $5,000 and then crossed out, you're paying $2.99 a pound. It says $2.99 a pound, something you can afford. I don't care if the person who invents a life-saving drug gets billions of dollars because that's capitalism and they did something great. Just have the government pay that. Don't show me that number. Don't tell me that this pill costs $7,000. Tell me that it costs $5 and you figure out the back end. Because otherwise, you're always going to have that panic moment. Every time you see a bill like that, you say, okay, this one was covered, but if ever one of these is not covered... I'm ruined for life. I mean, that's just well, awful. That is the opposite of peace of mind, right? Absolutely. Well, here's, you know, uh, a couple of things on, on that point specifically that you brought up, which is so incredibly important. It is, I think, the core of what has unfortunately become the central theme of the U.S. healthcare. It's not no longer, we don't, like, a lot of incredible innovation happening but honestly, the themes become exactly what you're saying because that is such a such a key emotional tie now to healthcare. Is when somebody has any sort of healthcare issue that comes up, this is this is these are statistics that are out there. Their biggest worry is actually how am I going to pay for? It? Which can you? You're going through a healthcare crisis, Correct. a crisis. Oh my arm! Actual, I don't know if I yeah. should go to the doctor. Exactly, and then your worry is not about your arm; it's about how are you going to pay for oh. it. What a wild, you know, place to be as a society with so many amazing things happening. Yeah. In it. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one, right? So I think that is pretty horrifying. Now I agree that people shouldn't see bills at all. Again, let's let's just say you know some some sort of category of folks. Now, who's in charge of paying for it? I actually put. I, I definitely agree. The government has a huge role in it. it. It's designed to be there to cover and provide services. We we have all sorts of services that we take for granted. You know, our roads get made. Our uh, actually, I uh, I always you know, try to remind everybody as well. Like I'm a big fan of the public library system. There's oh, even yeah. our city is awesome. so amazing. We have tools. You can just go and like check out tools. Yeah, like I, right. I, I went and got a table saw just, just right. this week, you know, just like what, a, what an amazing, just, you know, all these hosts of services we all rely on. And why is this considered outside of the scope of that? Like it, it actually doesn't make sense. Um, but now here's where I want to have a little bit more of a shout out and call to action for all the people who are looking at it from a capitalistic standpoint and then point to those big numbers, right? They're, they're just out there waiting to be taken from just a cost reduction standpoint. We could actually reduce the cost of the entire piece while you can create an incredibly profitable, incredibly profitable business a SaaS, like a software as a service based model, like those margins of, you know, Google, like you're looking at somewhere between 60 and 90% on your margins, you could actually make profits from a technology standpoint by helping these logistics move along faster. Now, 
Here's where the government piece you can't ignore is so much of it's led by policy, right? One of the first things that we had to do, and we've been very lucky to have so far in our team, is folks who've worked their whole life in public service, and they've had so much in-depth experience to help guide me and help guide the team and the product on how to navigate those different trip hazards when you're working in healthcare. And not everybody's that lucky. So that's definitely a policy issue from just an innovation and uh, improvement standpoint that, again, falls on the government. But I would still say there's so much out there that's kind of being left on the table. And if we just helped reduce that, you know, even if you make it, now let's go for the every $2 I save somebody, I get a dollar back. You can still create incredible opportunity and there's so much space. Healthcare is never going to be a winner-take-all model. Definitely not in the U.S. I don't think anywhere. And I think that's where it leaves so much incredible room for you could, um, again, this is I'm taking straight out of the article from A16Z, that you could fit the entire thing, the Facebook alphabet, you know, like the, the large tech companies into healthcare. And you could have many, many more of them. And you would still not you know, you still have room to play. And that's incredible. what's incredibly wild yeah. about it. So is that basically what you're trying to do as we sort of wrap things up here? Is your model, if I save you X amount, I collect a piece of that? What is your business model building all of this? Yeah, so we're trying to put ourselves in the ecosystem where we go just to the folks for the services that we provide. So exactly, yes. We, we share in like, the value that we're providing, the transparency we're providing, the uh, increased opportunities that we're providing, only then do we get to have uh, our money back, you know, in a sense. And what we think about it in, I think, in a more approachable way is it's called a life-covered model. So we basically become in charge of na- being the care navigators for these lives. And that's something we take very, you know, we believe in very strongly to really push that piece forward where now the folks that are in under our care, it's our responsibility, whether they need care every single day, we want to get them that care. Maybe they just check in once a year. That's also fine, right? Like whatever people need, that's what we get to be there for their navigators, their guides in this really complex system. So that's, that's definitely how we're thinking about it. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate your candor. You're a heck of a salesman, man. I can uh, I can hear the repetition in the pitch. I love it. It's awesome. Um, I think it's great where you're coming from. Congratulations on your success and the contracts that you've been able to get and the impact you've been able to make. And also coming from your heritage, where I didn't know, that just makes it all the more meaningful. So I'm really glad that you sat down with me and, and shared this. And I wish you lots of success, but it seems like you're already well on your way to doing some some big things. It, it takes everybody, you know, so Ross, you know, you, I, you might not realize this, but how much of an impact this has on my day on me getting up next week and doing it all over again. This is just, you know, thank you for having, giving me this opportunity uh, to tell a little bit, a small amount of sliver of the story that affects so many people. That's so my really pleasure. Well, thank you very much. It's in my own self-interest because one day I'll be 70 years old and I'll say, Hey, Give me something. <laughs> I haven't been able to get healthcare for 10 months. Give me something, man. They're trying to charge me a trillion dollars for this new therapy for the cancer drug. 
I only have two trillion dollars in my bank account. You gotta help me, dude. Um, no, but it's this is awesome. It's my absolute pleasure. That's what I live for. I live for sharing these kinds of stories. Uh, and yeah, I guess I'll leave you to close this out. So, where can people find you? Figure out more about your business and what you're doing, and support you or latch on if they're interested. Yeah, you can find us on all major platforms. I think the one where you'll find me is LinkedIn. That's the only place I feel like I can navigate uh, anymore. Uh, but uh, it's www.dollarhealth.com. And we you know, try to elevate voices from really diverse background of uh, communities and people. And, you know, it's all sort of, it's fun stuff as well, right? Like it's just everybody knows, like we, I talked to, uh, Damien Lee of the Phoenix Suns about his mental health. We got to have a panel with Khalil Herbert of the Chicago Bears uh, and mm. Patrick Taylor from the from the Packers to talk about mental health. You know, like it's not just about the making healthcare really serious. It's something that affects us all. We all have joy and hardship in our lives. Let's treat healthcare with the same, you know, gravity that it does deserve but also it's an everyday part of our life so we can have a little bit of fun and elevate the voices and talk about it in an open way as well all at the same time so we have webinars and stuff we do come come find us come listen in sounds good and that's valorant health v-a-l-o-r-a-n-t health.com yes awesome well thanks ahmed you're a very incredible person i appreciate it and with that the uh, official podcast is over Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Off and Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.